Okay, with the Parsha of Lech Lecha, we start the story of the Jewish people, the pre-story of the Jewish people, and it begins with Lech Lecha itself. If we take a look at the beginning of the Parsha, Perik Yud Beis, Vayom Hashem al-Avram, Lech Lecha, Hashem tells Avram to go. Avram is currently wherever he is, in Charan, presumably, <coughs> and he's told to go. From his birthplace, from his land, his, fa- his father's house, Ela Aretz Asher Areka, to the land where I will show you, which is none other than the land of Israel. And in the second pasuk, Hashem gives Avram <coughs> promises. He promises him all good things. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you, I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. So the command to go to Eretz Canaan is accompanied, as we see, by a number of promises for all good things that will happen to Avram. <coughs> so much so, as many Mepharshim raise the question, <laughs> this is meant to be one of the ten tests of Avram to pick up and go to the land of Canaan. He's promised every good thing if he goes. I mean, many people would travel further, perhaps even for less, and with less of an assurance. But be that as it may. So these are the opening instructions and the opening promises. <coughs> In the next uh, few psukim, we find that Abram goes to Canaan. In Pasuk Zion, so he's already in Canaan. Vayera Hashem el Avram, Hashem appears to Avram, Vayomer, Lezarecha etenes aretz hazos, I will give this land to your descendants. And then the Pasuk concludes, Vayiven sham mizbeach, Lashem haner'eh elav. Avram builds a mizbeach to Hashem who appeared to him. And the question, <coughs> the simple question that we need to ask is, Avram has received two sets of promises. The first set when he was told to go to Canaan. The second set when he's already in Canaan. And yet we only find that he builds a Mizbeach upon having the second communication. Why is there no Mizbeach upon receiving the first set of promises? Uh, one could answer perhaps by the Batishli, if he's leaving, he doesn't want to leave the shul in the un- unstable hands, uh, perhaps uh, best, best to build where he arrives. <coughs> but clearly, there's a whole lot more. And the truth is, if we, if we try and read the, the words carefully, which we always try and do, Pasuk Zion concludes, Vayiven sham mezbeach, Lashem hanir'eh elav. He builds a mizbeach to Hashem who appeared to him. Those words, love, who appeared to him, seem completely extraneous. Because the Pasuk has told us in the beginning, Hashem appeared to him. And we know, therefore, if he builds a mizbeach to Hashem, it's to Hashem who appeared to him. Every other time <coughs> in the Parsha, when Avram builds a mizbeach, it just says, Vayiven mizbeach l'ashem. He built a mizbeach to Hashem. And here we have the extra words, Hanir'eh Elav, who appeared to him. V'kolzeh Omer Darsheni. All of this needs, requires our attention. Says Meshech 
What is important for Avram more than anything else, and should be important to everyone more than everything else, is his connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And Avram enjoys a special connection, that is to say, not only, only quote-unquote, a religious connection, but also the fact that Hashem communicates with him. Prophetic communications can take one of two forms. Either oral, Hashem speaks to the person, or visual. There's some type of prophetic vision. Of course, we have to be careful with both of these categories. A person doesn't see Hashem from a certain point of view. He doesn't hear Hashem either because it's not seeing and hearing uh, Hashem himself. But nonetheless, we are well familiar throughout Tanakh that Hashem will speak to a Navi and Hashem will appear to a Navi in, in whatever that prophetic vision means. And needless to say, everything is relative, but the second type is superior to have a visual encounter and not just to hear a, 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 a divine voice, what could be called Ruach HaKodesh or Abaskol or, or the like, is, is preferred. So much so. And here the Meshachachma, he doesn't quote the Vilna Gaon, but he echoes a comment of the Vilna Gaon all the way back in Parshas Bereshis. We rarely have opportunity to discuss Parshas Bereshis. I think the way the planets need to be aligned and the Chagim need to come out, it's only once uh, one of the four configurations <coughs> give us a shir in Parshas Bereshis. But what we do know in chapter 3 of Parshas Bereshis is that after Adam and Chava have eaten from the Eitz Hadas, the Pasuk says, they hear Hashem. They hear a sound or a voice from Hashem. Hashem is in the garden, they can hear it, and they hide. And we perhaps would understand on a simple level that they've done the wrong thing, Hashem is here, and so they're hiding from him. But the Vilna Gaon, in his commentary, Adaris Eliyahu, says no, something else happened. It takes a while for Adam and Chava to realize just how far they've fallen. After all, they were expecting great things. Great things were promised to them, and they fell for it. However, we understand how that happened. And, and so, <coughs> as they eat from the, the Eitz Hadas, and, and the, the Nachash says, it will only bring you good things. But something happened. They heard Hashem. And what does that mean? It means they, this expresses to them that their relationship with Hashem has taken a fall. Because prior to this, Hashem would appear to Adam and Chava if he was to speak to them. And now the Pasuk emphasizes they could only hear. They couldn't see. And that is when the enormity of, of, of the fall that they had taken became apparent to them. And they were afraid and they hid in shame. So it was the hearing of the voice. It's not, oh, Hashem is here, time to hide. But rather, we're only hearing. Something has gone terribly wrong. And the irony, <coughs> if we may say, is that the Nachash promised them that if they ate from the Eitz Hadas, their eyes would be opened. 
Hashem, he said, Hashem knows, on the day you eat from the Eitzadas, your eyes would be open. They ate from the Eitzadas expecting to be able to see more. And in a sense, one could say, their eyes were open, but in the exact opposite direction of what they were anticipating. Because the Posuk proceeds to say, <coughs> their eyes were opened. But then they saw they were naked. They saw that their, that their, their whole existence now is potentially at odds with the godly existence. Their eyes were open in the complete opposite direction. And that was the, the initial demotion in connection with Hashem was reflected by the demotion from seeing to only hearing. That is the Vilna Gaon statement in uh, Parshas Bracious and Perik Gimel. And... This brings us back to our parsha, because, says Meshachachma, the difference between the first communication from Hashem to Avram and the second communication <coughs> is that the first is, is just a voice. It's Hashem speaking to Avram. That's all Avram had achieved by that stage. Again, everything is relative, but that's all he had achieved. Pasuk Zion says, when he gets to the, to the land of Canaan, he is elevated. He rises. And how is that expressed? What's the marker for the elevation of Avram? Pasuk Zion says, Vayera Hashem al-Avram. That's a first. Not just speaking to him. Hashem appears to him. This was uh, an upgrade, what we would call, in Avram's relationship with Hashem. <coughs> so much so, says Meshachachma, that's what the Mizbeach was about. The building of the Mizbeach, which is a, in a sense, celebrating and marking a special event. The event that's being marked are not the promises. He'd received promises in Haran, three promises. He received another two promises here. So why are these promises better than those? It's not about the promises. It's about the apparition itself. <coughs> that for Avram was was a greater gain than any of those promises. And that's why the Pasuk emphasizes that's why it emphasizes Hashem who appeared to him, because that's what the building of the Mizbeach was all about. That's what it was recognizing and celebrating. And this, for us, is a constant, uh, uh, another reminder or another expression of that which Chazal say in many places in so many different ways, that a person's relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu is qualitatively different in the land of Israel than outside. For Avram, it expressed itself in uh, not only hearing, but also seeing. But for everyone else, the way the Gemara describes it, he has a more direct connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. <coughs> and that is the, the opening episode in Parshas Lech Lecha. What's very interesting, and this was said to me um, a number of years ago, uh, echoes of this idea can be found in the, in the Gemara. Which Gemara? Both of them. There are two Talmuds. Talmud Bavli, as we know, and Talmud Yerushalmi. Interestingly, Talmud Bavli is called after the country Bavel, and Talmud Yerushalmi is called after the city Yerushalayim. That's an interesting uh, disparity. But be that as it may, as we know, it is the way of the Talmud when it wants to, it raises a question and wants to adduce proofs, it will say, I'll bring you this proof and I'll bring you this proof and I'll bring you this proof, as we know. How does it do that? Well, if you're familiar with the Gemara, 
the, the, watch, the watch word or the catchphrase for bringing a proof is Toshima. Toshima, come in here. Come in here, we learn like this. Come in here, we learn like this. The Bavli says Toshima. When the Yerushalmi brings the proof, it says Tochazi, come and see. And it's very interesting that in a sense, within that parlance, you can see that if you're in Bovel, so even as you become enlightened, you hear more. But in Eretz Yisrael, you see more. That is what Avram experienced uh, for the first time and continues to be the case. So these are the Meshach Hachma's uh, wonderful comments at the beginning of our Parsha of Lech Lecha. Now, <coughs> one of the uh, fascinating people within uh, Lech Lecha, of course, Avram is first, but we also have Lot. And Lot is, really deserves uh, a lot of our attention. And we see altercations in the beginning of, in Shlishi, actually, in Shlishi. So whoever is to get Shlishi has to put up with Lot. Uh, it's up to them if they consider it to be worthwhile. They probably do. So, a Yud Gimel, Pasuk Hei, V'gam Lot HaLechas Avram Hayatzonu Vakarva Ohalim. So Lot also has many assets, much livestock, etc. But the place was not big enough for the two of them, as Pasuk Vav says. Vayihi Riv, and they began to argue. Between the shepherds of Avram's flock and the shepherds of Lot's flock. Interestingly, there is not yet a machlokus between Avram and Lot. It's on the lower levels, but it can very easily spread upwards. And the, indeed, the Pasuk concludes, The Kanani and the Prizi were there. That seems to be completely extraneous information. What's one thing got to do with the other? Here's Avram shepherds are arguing with Lot shepherds. Uh, and, and you know what? The Kanani and the Prizi were also there. Doing what? Getting involved in the argument? Not that we know. Why does the Pasuk inform us that they were there? One of the classic Acharonim, uh, Rabbi Moshe Chefetz, an Italian uh, uh, godel, in his sefer called Meleches Marcheves, he says, and it's... Uh, his comments were not restricted to Italy in the 1700s. They are true for all Jews in all time. Says the Meleches Machsheves, Avram is quick to quash this Machlokas. Why? He says Machlokas between Jews is never good. But Machlokas between Jews, when there's non-Jews there, is unacceptable. In the, Jews cannot be fighting amongst themselves when there's non-Jews there looking and watching. And that has so many applications, as we know. And there's issues that Jews need to work out between themselves. It doesn't need to be done in the presence of the Kanani and the Prizi. So Avram wishes to part ways. And look at what Avram says. Vayomer Avram in Pasuk Ches. Vayomer Avram alot al natihi meriva veinecha. I don't want there to be any quarrel between me and you. Meaning, that's what's about to happen. And interestingly... Uh, and I'm not sure how many people uh, make a point of this, but isn't it noteworthy that Pasuk Zion started by saying there was a riv between the shepherds. What does riv mean? An argument. Avram says, let there not be a meriva between me and you. What does meriva mean? An argument. But riv and meriva are not the same word. They're obviously related, but what's the difference between them? 
But the Ksava Kabbalah explains <coughs> that this is exactly the point. What does the Mem at the beginning of the word denote? Something that causes. The Mem is, is, a, is, is the causative. Malbish, and etc. and so forth. And that's what Avram is saying. Currently, the Riv, the argument itself, is between our shepherds. But I don't want the Erin to be even to be a Mariva, a cause for a Machlokas that might become a Machlokas between me and you. We want to part before that happens. And therefore, he says to Lot, the time has come to part. <clears throat> so Lot looks around and his eyes settle, as Pasuk Yud says, on the plains of, of the Yarden. That's where Sodom is. And the Pasuk is quick to point out this was before Sodom was overturned. And that's where Lot wants to go. <coughs> Pasuk Yud Aleph. Lot chooses the plains of the Jordan. And he, he travels away from Avram. And I would like to focus for a few moments on these three words. Vayisa Lot Mikedem. Lot's journey. What does it mean? Rashi presents us with two possibilities. And I think the Rashi is well known. The first parish says Rashi. Mikedem, after all, Kedem is a direction. It means east. And therefore Mikedem means from the east. Says Rashi, <coughs> not Nasa me'etzel Avram. He travelled from Avram, lemaravo, and travelled west because nimsa nosea mimizrach lemarav. If you travel from Mikedem, if you travel from the east, you travel westwards. That is the pshat. Kedem is a direction, and if you travel from that direction, you head in the opposite direction. That's the pshat. Rashi's first perush, but Rashi is not completely happy. Medrash Hagada, you should know <coughs> there is a, a, an Agadic Medrash on these words, very different. You know what Kedem means? He he journeyed himself away from Kadmono Shal Olam. Kedem from the word Kadmon, like we say in Yigdal, Kadmon Lechol Davar, from the ancient one, from the pre existing one, from Hashem. Omar saying, Ifshi, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in Avram. I'm not interested in his God. I'm done with this and I'm, and I'm traveling away from all of that. So it's quite a different alternative parish. <coughs> the first parish is geography, east to west. The second is spirituality. It's a tail, downward tailspin for Lot. He's, he's, he's had it with, uh, with Avram's spiritual program. As always, we need to ask. Rashi's job is, as he himself says in Parshas Barishas, Perik Gimel Pasuk Ches. My job is Lipshuto Shamikra, Anila Basi Ela Lipshuto Shamikra. I'm coming to tell you the Pshat. If necessary, we'll, we'll, we will reference the Drash and Agoda, <coughs> but only if necessary. And therefore, we always need to ask why was it necessary in this instance for Rashi to access the, the, the Midrashic interpretation? Just stay with the Pshat. But Mepharshim explained very simply, the pshat is very problematic for the following basic reason. Vayisalot mikedem, on a simple level means, he traveled from the east, westwards. But where is he going? He's going to the, to the Jordan Plain. That's to the east. 
So he's heading in the wrong direction. And therefore, as much as we'd love to just stay with the simple uh, compass, and he's going from east to west, the, the reality is he's going from west to east, and therefore Mikedem must have another meaning. <clears throat> and therefore Rashi says, indeed it does. Mikedem means this is a spiritual statement. He's not interested in kadmono shel olam. Whatever are we to do with the pshat, that, that we yet have to see. But let's talk about, about Lot just for a moment. <clears throat> As we've discussed on, uh, on other occasions, Lot is not constant. When we meet him now, he's not at his best. I mean, if he's headed for Sodom, need we say more? But he didn't start out that way. The fact remains that he joined with Avram and is mentioned by name. As someone who joins with Avram on his original journey, Lot is with him. He begins as a faithful adherent to Avram's program. But something happens. What happened to Lot? And Mepharshim explained, Rabbi Lezer Ashkenazi and the Masei Hashem and others, <clears throat> Lot undergoes a significant disillusionment with Avram's program. And the simple reason is that Avram, as we saw in the beginning of the parsha, is promised all good things. But it takes a while for them to materialize, and Lot doesn't really have the patience for that. They're told. Hashem says to Avram, I'll make you into a great nation, I'll bless you when you go to the land. They arrive at the land, there's a famine in the land. I mean, that's their reception to the land of Israel. There's a famine in the land. Now, Avram passes the test with flying colors. But Avram's not the only one who made the journey. And not everyone rises to the occasion as much as Avram does. The next thing that happens is they go down to Egypt and there's more trouble. And it's trouble for Avram and Sarah. And trouble for Avram and Sarah is trouble for Lot. We should not forget, Sarah is Avram's wife. Sarai, as she's called that, Avram's wife. She's Lot's sister. It's not, a, it's not a, a simple matter. She gets taken by Paro. There's much uncertainty at the whole thing. By the time they come back up from Mitzrayim, Lot has been, is, is shaken by the experiences that he's had. The promises, as he understands them, were not delivered. And, and that's a major part of what he was in there for the first place for. So much so that he begins to develop ideas of a program for his own. As we see, he starts bickering, he lets his animals graze where they were, he lets himself go a little bit. He's not as from as he was in the beginning of the Parsha, because he's, he's undergone these, these difficult experiences. So much so, that he feels that the place that he'd like to settle in now is Sodom. There's just one problem. It is not an easy matter <clears throat> to leave Avram's house and go to Sodom. I mean, that takes some doing. Especially as we're not aware that he has openly spoken to Avram about his, his lack of interest in Avram's program. He wants to leave, but he has to take leave of Avram. How do you go from Avram's house to Sodom? Not an easy thing. That amount of shame he still has. That amount, perhaps also of respect for Avram, he still has. Says the Divrei David, the commentary on Rashi Divrei David by the Taz, Rabbi David Alevi. Let's go back to the Pshat of Vayisalot Mikedem. 
When he leaves Avram, he goes from east to west. But that instantly became difficult, but he's headed to Sodom. Sodom is to the east. Why are you traveling west? You know why, says the Divrei David. He couldn't bring himself to go directly from Avram's house to Sodom. He couldn't have Avram look at him leaving in the direction of Sodom. So you know what he does? He heads off in the other direction. He heads off west. Where are you going? Avram will say. I don't know, says Lot. Heading west. Go west. Who knows what my prospects will be? Who knows where I'll settle? Maybe Bnei Brak, Beit Shemesh, Ashdod. The possibilities are endless. Somewhere. And then when he's safely out of sight of Avram, he wheels round and makes his way to Sodom. What's interesting for us is that we never know at what point, or does Avram know that Lot is doing all of this? Does Avram know that when he's heading west, in the end he's heading to Sodom? We don't know. But before too long, (coughs) Avram finds out that Lot is in Sodom because he ends up having to go and rescue him from Sodom. It's interesting to ponder, if he never knew that Lot was in Sodom, that would have been an interesting conversation between them. What are you doing in Sodom now that you are captured? I thought you went to wherever, headed out west. That would have been uh, 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 difficult for Lot. But either way. And therefore, says that says the, the Divri David, just to keep an eye on our methodologies, we have two explanations of these words, Vayisalot Mikedem. Pshat is geography. The, the, the Medrash is spirituality. On the face of it, never the twain shall meet. But on a deeper level, they intersect because the Drash explains the Pshat. The only way to understand on a pshat level why he went in the opposite direction is provided by the drash because he has these issues with, with Avram's program, but he, it's difficult for him to, to go directly. And therefore, when, you, when you've read the drash about Lot and Kadmona Shel Olam, now go back to the pshat. You'll understand why he went in the direction that he did. So it's, it's wonderful to see the synergy between, between the pshat and the drash here. But in fact, I believe there's more. Because here we are saying, and Rashi, um, Rashi informs us from Chazal <coughs> that Lot's not interested in Avram's way of life anymore. He's more interested in, 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 in what's going on in Sodom. Having said that, if you look in Pasuk Yud, when Lot originally surveys the different locales, but you saw Lot as Einav, Vayar is called Kikar Yard, and he sees the plains of the Jordan. It's very fertile. And the, apparently, the point is, it's, it is on that basis that he chooses to live there. So the Pasuk itself is telling us that the reason why he wants to go to, <coughs> to Sodom is because it's fertile. So, so where, where does that go? And that's why it appears that what's happening with Lot is a little bit more. As we have seen, and this Rabbi Yaakov Kabanetsky says, you have the pshat in the pasuk, and then you have other levels, let's call them subterranean levels of, of drash, and maybe remez, and these are not so straightforward in the pasuk. What is the parity between these levels and the situation they're describing? 
says Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, the parity is what's apparent in the Pasuk reflects what was apparent in the situation. What you need to darshan from between the lines in the Pasuk is what you would have needed to suss out from between the lines of the situation. And what's embedded in Remez in the verse, that's, that's embedded very deep in the situation. That, is, that would not meet the naked eye at all. You'd really need to know. If it's hidden in the Pasuk, it's because it's hidden in the situation. <coughs> and Rabbi Yaakov says, when we say it's, it's hidden in the situation, it means it's hidden from Lot also. People don't always know why they do the things they do. People are not always <coughs> aware and can't always put their finger on what motivates them. And so much so that they may feel that it's A that's motivating them, but the reality is that it's B. That's what we would call unconscious or subconscious. And that's what the Pasuk calls remes. There's an illusion in the Pasuk. It's not, it, doesn't, it doesn't jump out at you because it wouldn't jump out at you at, at Lot also. In other words, what Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky is saying is that Lot's true motivation, that he's not so interested in Avram's program, so much so that he has affinity for, more for, for, for Sodom, is something that is being hidden not only from Avram, but even from Lot. And Lot now becomes a very interesting person. And what's, what's even more interesting is that the word Lot itself means concealed. Luta, Luta ba'arafel, concealed, batavoilav balot. Lot means concealed, and that's a, it's very interesting that that's his name, because he represents someone from whom things, within whom things are concealed, perhaps even from himself. And the full impact of this idea is that the traveling in the opposite direction, which the Taz identified, he really is meant to be going to the east, but he starts off going to the west, it could be that is as much for Lot's benefit to hide from himself where he really wants to go as it is from Avram's benefit. <coughs> In other words, what Lot is revealing to us is that the things that we know and the things that we don't know are not as separate as you might think. Sometimes, and I'll try and say this as clearly as, as I can, <coughs> sometimes there are things that we don't know, but we know that we could know them. And we repress them. In other words, Lot is teaching us that the con- we talk about the unknown. For us, the unknown is, is a noun. It's a category of things that are not known. Lot reveals to us that unknown is also a verb. It's something you can do. You can make something unknown. But, but if you're making it unknown, you have to at least have an inkling of it. Otherwise, why would you take action? It's just about to, to rise to the surface of the known, but you don't want it to get there. And therefore, you unknow it. And that's, and that's what Lot is doing. And what's interesting is, this is not the last time that we will see Lot doing this. In next week's Parsha, you have the very uh, enigmatic section of Lot and his daughters. Right? Sodom has been destroyed, and it's just Lot and his two daughters. And as far as they're concerned, this is it. They're the whole population. They were, I guess, uh, to put it delicately, not perhaps uh, the most informed 
of people. As far as they're concerned, their entire world is Sodom, and if Sodom is destroyed, it means the world is destroyed. The only person capable of fathering a child <coughs> is Lot. Perhaps Lot knows better. And in fact, we see, and that's what makes it such a complex uh, episode, is that Lot's daughters are praised for what they did. They are considered to have done the right thing. Lot is criticized, and it's the same act, because they didn't know any better, but Lot did. And interestingly, <coughs> the Balaturim says, this is the reason why those two nations who came from them, Ammon Umoav, who can't marry into the Jewish people, it's only the males that can't marry in, but the females can. And the Balaturim says, because the... the the reprehensible element within those nations, it came from Lot, who's the male uh, progenitor. But from the females, it was actually considered to be a Dvar Mitzvah. And that remains true Ladoras in those two nations, that the females are, 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 can marry to the Jewish people, the males cannot. <coughs> Either way. What is their plan? Using the resources that they have, they get him drunk, and then the first one goes, and, and then the, the second one goes. What does the Pasuk say? The Pasuk says the first one went, and again, these are the words of the Pasuk, and she lay with him. He had no idea. He didn't know. He didn't know, not in the beginning, not in the end, not when she lay down, not when she got up. Didn't know. <coughs> and of course, the point is, if he didn't know, then when the same thing happens again the next night, why wouldn't it happen? He has no idea what happened in the first night. And yet, Rashi says, it says in the, on the first, with regards to the first daughter, he doesn't know nothing. Not b'shichva, uvukuma. Says Rashi, look at the word uvukuma. There's a dot on top of it. And you know what the dot comes to do? It comes to diminish. It comes to undo some of the message. Says he didn't know. Says Rashi, he did. He did know. And that's why it's so reprehensible, because he should have known to be, to, to be wary the next night, and he didn't take any care, he didn't take any precautions. That's why Lot is indicted. But it's, we're in a very unusual situation. We're just trying to learn the verse with Rashi. But we have before us what one can only describe as a machlokas between a word and a dot. Because <coughs> the Pasuk says he didn't know. But the dot said, yes, he did. Well, the Pasuk says he didn't. I mean, a dot can't argue with the Pasuk. It seems clear that what we have before us, I mean, the Pasuk says he didn't know. And if the Pasuk says it, it's because he didn't know. But Rashi says that may well be. But there's a reason why he didn't know. You know why he didn't know? Because he did know. In other words, he, once again, it's Lot here. He has a sense of something that he might come to know. And, and therefore, it's not that he had no way of knowing it. It's a, it. If he doesn't do anything to prevent it, he will know what's happening. But he does prevent it by unknowing it, by putting it back into the unknown. That's what the dot is telling us. In the end, he didn't know, but he is behind not knowing. He knew enough to ensure that he doesn't know. And this is a quality which, which uh, uh, again, Lot, the Mr. Concealment, uh, really teaches us. And of course, no need to elaborate, but... Uh, it, is a, it is a quality that anyone can emulate. I mean, Lot, in a sense, specializes in it. He really branded it, but uh, anyone could do this. And I wonder, I haven't seen anyone who says this, <coughs> but I wonder perhaps whether this is something that we, we all refer to, obviously, in our moments of, uh, you know, tshuva, etc., um, because the vidui, 
the al Khait on Yom Kippur, which we said not too long ago, and follows the Aleph base. <coughs> and, and the, and the al Khait for Yud is al Khait, we say, Shechatan Fanecha, Biyodim Uvalo Yodim. Knowing and not knowing. Now, <clears throat> uh, I think the simple understanding of those words, knowing and not knowing, is that they're two separate possibilities. As if to say, whether we knew, whether we didn't know, or perhaps it's about the, vict- about the victim, <coughs> whether the, the, the one that we uh, sinned against, whether he knew, whether he didn't know. But they're two separate things. But I wonder whether in light of our discussion, perhaps they aren't two separate things. Perhaps that's the point. The point is that there's, there's things that, that we might do, and well, I didn't know. But, but we, in the beginning we knew. We then unknew it. It went from yodim to lo yodim, and that itself is, is, is a problematic trait, and that's what that section of the vidui is about. And so, uh, of course, there is no question, as we said, <coughs> the primary protagonist of the parsha is going to be Avram. A great deal to learn from Lot. Avram is the leader, but we learn a, a, a great deal about Lot as to, as to how to be a follower, which is also uh, an, an important trait. In fact, we mentioned in the past, <coughs> and on a different uh, occasion altogether, this mistake of Lot was in time rectified, not, not by him, but by one of his descendants. Who? Rus. Rus got right what Lot got wrong. How so? Because what Naomi actually is trying to get is trying to get rid of her, and on a certain level, Naomi really doesn't want her to come back with her. She's it's 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 embarrassing for for Naomi to come back. She left with a guns and mishpacha. She comes back what with her Moabite daughter and all. That's it. That's all she has to show for it. She says, "You remind me of difficult times. You remind me of my difficulties," and and Rus says, "I am not parting from you. I am not parting from you." Rus coming back with Naomi. The descendant of Lot coming back with a descendant of Avram. But what does she say? She says, I'm with you come what may. And I don't expect things to, to, to look bright at any time in the future and perhaps at any time. But that's not why I'm coming with you. I'm coming with you because I share your way of living. You, are the, you represent the way that I would like to be, regardless of whether there's any payoff or whatever it would be. And indeed, there is, there's a motif word. Because the parting, the parting of Avram with Lot is the word Vayipardu. Vayipardu Ishmenachi. What does Rus say to Naomi all those hundreds of years later? Death alone. Hamaves Yafrid There will be no Vayipardu well, uh, uh, as long as the two of us are alive. And with that, says the Shalar Kodosh, <coughs> finally, as the way these things work, as they roll down Lodoros, a descendant of Lot at least was able to succeed where Lot himself had, had taken a wrong turn. I'd like to move from here to, uh, to an interesting observation, and it's from the, from the Ksava Kabbalah. And it relates to what we call Avram Ha'ivri. Avram the Hebrew. What is the meaning <clears throat> of, of Avram Ha'ivri? There's a number of interpretations. Uh, some of them are, uh, he was on the one side, everyone else was on the other. He's me'ever echad, everyone's on the other side. That's Avram's moral stand. Perhaps he's a, he is a, uh, a spiritual descendant of Aver. 
who was right Shemba Eiver, who's considered to be a, a, a very <coughs> high-level spiritual person, or maybe he became he came from Eiver Hanahar, he came from over there and, and brought his new ideas. Different explanations, but it, but nothing is more well known about Avram than the appellation Ivri. So much so, it's worthwhile investigating <clears throat> just how many times in the Torah he is given this name, Avram HaIvri. It, what I mean to say is it's so well known, you imagine that it's mentioned many, many more times than it is. <clears throat> because the truth of the matter is, he's only called Ivri once in the entire Torah. It's in our Parsha, and let's see where. In Perik Yudalib. So we're now we're moving into the war between uh, the four kings <coughs> and the five kings. Before too long, Avram's going to get involved. Perik Yudalid, Pasuk Yud Gimel. Let us see what the Pasuk says there. Perik Yudalid, Pasuk Yud Gimel. Vayavoa Palit. So, so the war has happened. Lot's been captured. So the refugee, whoever the refugee is, the Pasuk doesn't say. <coughs> we have uh, information about that from Chazal. But either way, this refugee comes. And he told Avram, It's very interesting. This is the only time in the Chumash that Avram is called Ivri. It's noteworthy. After all, uh, it's not the first time we meet Avram. He's been in Ivri for a while. We're never going to call him this again. So what is it about this particular episode and this particular place in the Chumash that makes it appropriate for us to have Avram depicted and presented as Ivri? That is an interesting shine. And the Ksava Kabbalah says, often when, when the Pasuk gives us a description of someone, it's because that descriptive element is key in that situation. It's not just for information. It's active here. What does that mean for us? It means the refugee who comes and tells Avram about the war. If the Pasuk says he told Avram an Ivri, it's because he's appealing to Avram as an Ivri. The Ivri element is active here. It's of the essence. And the question is, why? Says the Ksava Kabbalah, Think about it. What is, he, what is he demanding, seemingly, that Avram should do? That Avram should get involved in the war. Why on earth would Avram get involved in the war? It's got like, nothing to do with him. It's the four kings and the five kings. <coughs> Let them battle it out. <coughs> and uh, Avram should keep uh, well away. That's what most people do. If there's a war going on nearby, they move the other way. Not they rush headlong into it. But that's what the Palit wants to do. <coughs> but what can he say? that would enlist Avram to get involved in this war? The answer, says the Ksava Kabbalah, is he says you're an Ivri. And because you're an Ivri, you have to get involved. Why? <coughs> because who, who is this war between? The four kings and the five. And who are those four kings? Spearheaded by, by Amraphel, who we know as Nimrod. Nimrod who spells, who, who, who spreads uh, a reign of, of rebellion against Hashem and Avodah He's called Nimrod Shehimrid Es Ha'olam. He, he stands for merit. <coughs> he wants to make the world a godless place. Or perhaps he wants to fill it with too many. But 
moving away from, from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You're an Ivri, says, says the refugee. You, you do not have the option of not getting involved. It's a, it's, if we could pardon the expression, it's a holy war. It's a war over someone is looking to spread rebellion against Hashem. You stand for, for, for HaKadosh Baruch Hu in this world. You've got to get involved. And that is why, says Aksaba Kabbalah, <coughs> the, the, the Torah refer, refers to Avram and describes him as an Ivri here, because it was as an Ivri that he was appealed to. Very interesting. I must tell you, <coughs> I, had a, I had an issue with this explanation of Aksaba Kabbalah. Because, again, not to repeat what he said, but to, just, to, just to summarize, he appeals to him as an Ivri, the Zavodazara, you're an Ivri. Why? Because what does the very next Pasuk say? Pasuk Yedalet. Vayishma Avram kinishpa achiv. Avram heard his brother, that is to say his nephew, had been, <coughs> had been captured. And he galvanizes his charges, his disciples, and off they go. So seemingly, this would... Uh, raised a great difficulty on what the Ksav Kabbalah said. Because the Ksav Kabbalah says, <coughs> he's appealed to as an Ivri, because there's religious issues going on here, a spread of Avodah Zarah. But in the end, it's quite clear from the next Pasuk that that's not the reason he went to war. As soon as he heard his nephew had been captured, he went to war. So, <coughs> so if what the Ksav Kabbalah is saying is correct, you have this refugee and Avram are talking completely across purposes. I mean, the Palit comes. He says to Avram, there's four kings. They're spreading Avodazara all about the region. You've got to get involved. And Avram says, what? My nephew's been captured? Okay. I'm just going to get ready. But that's not a conversation. They, just talk, they talk past each other completely. And I was, I was quite bothered by this. Uh, I think it's a fair question. Uh, read the next Pasuk. It seems to undermine, so to speak, or, or, or raise questions <coughs> on what the Ksav Kabbalah said. And yet, upon further reflection, I think that it only deepens the point that the Ksav Kabbalah is making. Namely, come back to this palit, this refugee. Avram's got to get involved. And he's, th- he's racking his brains. What can he say that would, that would uh, lead Avram to get involved? As far as he's concerned, there's only one t- thing that would motivate that type of person. Avram is a religious person. So what motivates religious people? Religious things. Anything else? No. Family? Forget about it. People? Well, he's getting in the way. And that's why he says to Avram, you're in Ivri and there's Avodah Zorah going on. You've got to get involved. And what does Avram do? Avram says, you know what? I am going to get involved. And you know why I'm going to get involved? Because I am in Ivri. And you know what that means? It means a few things. But one of the things it means is that because I'm in Ivri, if one, a member of my family is in trouble, I go and help them. That's what it means to be in Ivri. This is a breakthrough idea. No one had ever thought about religion in this way before. Everyone who is a religious person, <coughs> in whatever form or stripe, as far as they're concerned, religion is looking upwards. Not, 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 not around, not to the side. And enter Avram, 
his Chiddush is not only in the number of deities, reducing them from many to one, but it's increasing the scope of what it means to be a godly person. A godly person means, means your nephew's in trouble, you help him out because you're an Ivri. What's very interesting is, uh, and if I may uh, <clears throat> digress for a moment to indulge in a Hasidic avort, it's based on the, uh, on the Chidush Yarim of Gore. Uh, it's not exactly what the Chidush Yarim says. It's slightly tweaked, which for me only makes it more Hasidish. But uh, he says as follows. As we know, and the, Pasuk, the Torah devotes Psukim to this matter. Um, when the war is over, someone comes to greet Avram. Who is that? Malkitzedek, whoever again, whoever Malkitzedek is, with Parshas Lechlecha has many people that yet need to be defined. Who's the Palit? Who's Malkitzedek? Whoever he is, but Hotzi Lechem Vayayin, he brings out, he brings out food, he brings out wine for Avram's uh, beleaguered and fatal, battle fatigued Talmidim. Uh, okay, and 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 there's four or five sukkim about this, and uh, there's a, there's a lot to say. But the Chidush Yerim says, you know, it's very interesting. I mean, it's it literally, it's like a break in the Parsha. It's like a refreshment break in the, in the Parsha. You've got, there's, there's been wars going on, and there's been things going on, and then, and then, and then Malki Tzedek makes a Kiddush. Before the Parsha then proceeds to other very weighty things. Brisbane Abisarim, Hagar, Brismila, and so on and so forth. What's it all about? So he says... Malkitzedek also, and borrowing a little bit from the, from the Malbim here, because Malkitzedek is referred to in the Pasuk as Kohen Lekel Elyon. <coughs> That's in Pasuk Yudches. Pasuk Yudches. It says, Malkitzedek, Melech Shalem, Hotzilechem Vayayim, King of Shalem. He brought out uh, uh, bread and wine. Vuhu Kohen Lekel Elyon. That is a very interesting description, Cohen Lekel Elia. Because he's a priest, okay, he's a religious uh, person. He's a religious person for Kel Elia, for God on high. But what does that mean? <coughs> it means that all of his religion is only directed upwards to God on high. But, and if only he could, he'd make it up there. Nothing of significance is going on down here. Avram's Chiddush, <coughs> as, we, as we, we discover, is that he represents godly living in a very, very temporal sphere. And that's really what he's saying, is that, is that a, a, a godly person needs to bring that into all of his endeavors. He's famous for his hospitality. He's helping people. And the truth is, and it's interesting to think about it in this way, all the other religious people around didn't quite know what to make of it because that's not how religion goes as far as they're concerned. And as we know, for many religions, that's still the case. For many quote-unquote religions, still the case. And therefore, people looked, uh, one could say, askance somewhat at Avram's uh, hospitable enterprises. They would seem to be detracting from religious life. And yet he claims to be a religious person. So no one really rated his, his uh, endeavors um, or invested them ascribe to them much validity until he has this stunning victory over four kings who just defeated the five kings. 
So they are these four superpowers. Here's Avram with 318 people at a maximum, possibly Eliezer, who's a gematria of 318, which is what Rashi says. Either way, I guess that means surrounding them is out of the question. And yet, <coughs> and yet, he wrote, he wrote them all. Pursues them all, they all flee before him. What does that tell us? Whatever Avram is doing, someone on high is, endorses that and endorses Avram. He has support from the highest levels, which means that whatever his, his uh, endeavors are, clearly they're a lot more worthwhile on a religious level than were previously rated. So, says the Rebbe, so Tzedek decided he wanted to try it. For the first time in his life, he prepared refreshments for someone. That's the type of thing that he'd never done before. Refreshments are for, are for the proletariat. That, that, that's nothing to do with religion. And yet, and yet he learns from Avram. Well, clearly that's not true. Avram does this the whole time. And look at him. Look at that stunning victory. He is endorsed from the highest levels. Says, says, says Malki Tzedek, who knew? You know what? Maybe I should take a leaf out of Avram's book. And he did. And he made him a kiddush. And that, of course, is <coughs> the timely, timely reminder. Which, and, we, and it's always good for us to be reminded. That, I mean, these are these are things that we know that we shouldn't forget, but sometimes we do as we go through, um, you know, our, our, our religious uh, endeavors to recall exactly how how the the Ben Adam Nachavero is an equal partner. And perhaps we'll clue, we'll close with an ep- with a, <coughs> an episode. I've, I've mentioned it in the past. I'm sure. Um, and this was something that Rabbi Sra Salanter was uh, in, in his Musser movement and his Musser revolution was also looking to restore, one could say, the prestige or the, the validity, the religious validity of looking out for the other person. I mean, that's really... Um, Rabbi Sra Salanter, <coughs> uh, like many people, he would... Uh, he personally be involved in baking matzahs for you know uh, as long as he could. Everyone has their hidurim, everyone has their things, and it, and it's considered worthwhile to be personally involved in the mitzvah. One year, either due to health or, or whatever it was, he was unable to to bake his own matzahs, and so the talmidim were sent to bake. So. So they came and checked in with the Rebbe before they left. After all, if, if, if anyone ever has hidurim and chumras with halachic sanction, it's going to be around Pesach time. I mean, that's when it all comes out. So you don't want to bake matzahs for someone without checking in with them. Or, or are they particular about this, about that? So they came to him. They wanted to know, does the, does, does the Rebbe have uh, hidurim? And, and Rabbi Sosananta says, yes, I do. And it's good that you asked. I do have a hidur. It's as follows. Um, in between every baking run, so all of the kalim are scrubbed clean for obvious reason. There can't even be a trace or a speck from the previous run because there could be chametz and chametz could be bekal shehu. It's, it's, it's a serious business. Everything is scrubbed clean in between each run. He said, the lady who cleans all of those kalim is a widow and she's had a hard life. Here is my hidur. When my turn comes to bake matzahs, I'm always particular not to hurry her, 
not to pressure her, not to harass her, not to make her in any way feel that she's doing anything wrong. In the end, it all works out. She's never ever uh, gone over time in terms of the cleaning. That is what I pay uh, attention to when I'm baking my matzahs. And I think that, that really what Rabbi Sarasalam meant to say is that actually, in the end, his matzahs were more kosher because of it. In other words, you don't, in order for your matzah to be kosher, it can't have any chametz in it, and it also can't have any aggravation for some uh, poor woman who, who's never done anything wrong. That's also a, a trafer ingredient for, for your matzahs. And all of this begins with Avram, the Ivri, who teaches us that an Ivri also looks outwards, not only upwards. That's the magic combination, as indeed the Kliyaka reminds us of the Kruvim. The Kruvim, which are, which are the symbol of, of a Torah uh, personality. And we're told two things about the Kruvim. lamala, Their wings are spread upwards. Upnehem ishelachir. Their face one to the other. Says the Kliyakar, that is the magic combination. There we say it, the golden combination. On the one hand, the wings are spread upwards, representing their spiritual aspirations as high as they can go, but never at the expense of losing sight of the other. And Porsik Nafaim, Dame Isha Lachiv, that's really Avram's message as an Ivri. We'll leave it over for this evening. Have a good night and a wonderful week ahead. Best.